Hey, deserving listeners, it's just me today. I have a very interesting email from a, an anonymous patron who is asking about implicit racism and just implicit bias in general and how this person is struggling with it and wants to change it and uh, has a lot of really interesting questions. So I just thought I would read the email. Uh, this person writes, I have a feeling I'm more subconsciously racist than I care to admit. I don't want to be racist. I'd like to, stay, I'd like to say that I stand for equal rights, and I'd like to say that I'm a colorblind American. I know racism has led to painful and significant social consequences, yet I have a very superficial understanding of racism. I grew up in a white neighborhood, but now I go to a diverse college. And I do judge race differently depending on the situation. On campus, I'm fine with various different types of people. But outside of college, I look over my shoulder. Is this racism or is it classism? Either way, it can't be good. I'm uncomfortable about my lack of enlightenment and my privileged laziness. I took the implicit association test. My results said that I prefer whites. I don't want to harbor racial bias. I don't want to raise racist kids. I'm nervous that my blindness will one day unintentionally cause real harm to someone. But shouldn't we learn from our experience? And what if our experience shows us that some groups are more prone to violence or other kinds of unsafe situations? Isn't it rational to use that information to decide? Isn't it better to be safe than sorry and to call the 911 if you think there is danger in your neighborhood? This is my logic, but my logic feels discriminatory. I thought you might have a unique perspective on this, on this, so I thought I'd ask what you think. I think many Americans might have similar thoughts. End of email. Yeah, I think a lot of I think this is a very common thing. I I would imagine that people all over the world are basically in your shoes. People of various different groups, and really, uh, patron, I commend you for asking for help, and I commend you for thinking about this. You're questioning your thoughts. You're taking the implicit bias test. You recognize that you have a bias, and you're really concerned about harming others. You know, that's a, a very good starting point, I will say, in terms of my advice to people is is right where you're at. You're, you're like you're open to the idea that you have a bias. You, 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 you're, you're worried you're going to harm someone. Uh, you have questions, you have sort of a reality test around like, well, you know, aren't we supposed to like learn from our experience? Aren't some groups actually more prone to crimes? And shouldn't we use that information when guiding our behavior and our, our lives and protecting others around us? Uh, you know, I think these are, are very normal questions, rational questions. Um, so before talking, before going into detail on my my the different things that I think people can do to address their implicit bias. I just want to talk a little bit about the implicit bias test itself. The question is, does it measure a global bias in the individual that takes the test, or does it just measure some small, specific kind of cognitive process that doesn't really apply to the real world? If you haven't taken the implicit, if you if you haven't taken the implicit bias test, implicit association test, you should go online. Just Harvard people at Harvard have developed it, and they have a number of different tests. They have black and white. They have 
Asian and white. They have uh, sexism and various age and they're, they're different, they're various different things. And basically what it does is it's a very simple test, but it, 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 it just it puts faces on the screen and then puts words on the screen. And you have to associate very quickly. You have to do it as fast as you can. And it measures your brain's ability to associate certain words with different types of people. And at the end, it tells you that whether in terms of your the speed of your responses, because the idea goes is that, for example, if you have a bias against black people and you're supposed to use the same button to uh, associate black people with with good words, you know, like honor and good and pleasant and nice, whereas with white faces. So the idea goes is that if you're faster to associate white faces with good words and slower to associate black faces with good words, then you have a slight or you have a bias towards white people and white faces being good and a, a bias that black people mean not good or even bad. And so uh, now, does this, it's, it's an interesting test and, and it's anonymous and it just, just you know, it's interesting. Um, but the question is, and, and even the makers of the test will uh, attest to this, is that it doesn't, because the, so so a lot of research has followed up on the implicit association test and said, okay, so let's take a group of people who have a bias against black people. Now let's try to measure whether or not these people actually harm other human beings in the real world. And what they find is that they can't correlate the two. So, uh, or there's very weak correlations. So, if someone, for example, has a very strong bias against black people, or, or you take a group of people who are very strongly biased against black people, and you take another group of people who, according to the implicit association test, have no association, no, no preference for black or white people. And then you try to figure out, are the people who have a bias against black people, are they is there anything about their behavior that will correlate with racist acts, racist behavior? And it's hard to do. Now, what else? And they haven't demonstrated that connection. And it seems like if this test was validly uh, uh, measuring what a lot of people commonly think it's measuring, then there would be some signal in in those in the data, but there isn't. Now, what I'll say is is that it's very difficult to measure people's behavior in the real world. We science scientists and and you know psychological social researchers 99.9% of the time they just bring people if they're going to do an experiment they bring people into the lab and 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 they have to reduce the situ- like with the implicit association test where you're you know you're doing this kind of weird task where you're trying to associate words real quickly with different things. And it's just too expensive and unethical to have a drone, an invisible drone following you around, uh, trying to measure everything that you're doing. And, and even if we did have that, it would be hard to know exactly what's happening because racism in m- most of its forms and behaviors in the United States in particular are very subtle and are hard to quantify and hard to code when you're observing other humans. It's, it's often kind of a vibe we give to people and 
and the vibe is received by the other person. And how do you measure that? It's really hard. So, so all that needs to be taken in consideration. Having said that, it is interesting that in the United States, the vast majority of people prefer have a much easier time and a much quicker time associating white faces with good words than black faces with good words. I mean, isn't that interesting, right? And when they just do other kinds of things like associating good words with rocks as opposed to um, wood or something, it doesn't really pan out. You know, there's no, it's, it's no, there's no preference. So, so it is interesting, but it is also interesting to think about what exactly it all means. Now, having, so I took, but well, before I get into that, um, there, having said all that, there is a ton of research, thousands and thousands of studies, strong studies that demonstrate that uh, people around the world have biases and they do play out in their behavior. Things like um, one study found that women make up over one half of all doctoral recipients in biology related fields, but are vastly underrepresented, underrepresented at faculty level in life sciences. So, so in other words, women and, and, you know, identified women, identified men are, uh, there's actually more women in, in school to work in biology and even though there's more women, the faculty are mostly men. So, you know, it's one thing to look at. Another thing is, is but that's, you know, it's, that's um, just what we call, what do they call it? Um, it's not experiment. So you're looking at the world. There could, could be other factors at play. Well, when they actually do design experiments, and there's been many, many, I would guess to say thousands of experiments, that what they do is they will take a, an application uh, and they will uh, alternate between gender. So they'll say, you know, they'll put a, a female name uh, on some of them and a male name on, on others, even though the application is exactly the same. And then they ask someone, how likely would you be to hire this person? Well, in most fields, men are preferred or white people are preferred or, um, you know, just all the different marginalized groups are are have been found to not be preferred in experiments like that, and that's that's a real world consequence right there, right? Uh, economics, opportunity, privilege, getting into a, the upper echelon of society, and and all that kind of stuff, just purely based on whether or not you're you're white, male, Protestant, able bodied, sighted, you know. Um, non-atheist, uh, heterosexual, uh, all, all the different things. They, they've shown time and time again that, that uh, people really around the world have, a, have de- definite preferences based on societal messages regarding different groups of people. Um, so, so anyway, I actually took the implicit uh, association test, but I've taken the black and white one before, and I remember I had a slight preference for white faces as opposed to black faces. But this time I took the Asian foreign test, which is do you associate, so it's trying to figure out, do you associate Asian faces or white faces with the concept of being foreign, meaning not from the United States? So this is all geared towards people in the United States. And what it found after I took this, I just took it just now, it said that the data suggested that I have a slight automatic association 
for American with with European American and foreign with Asian American, meaning that I have a slight association with Asian faces equaling foreign people and white faces equaling American people, you know, American citizens. And that was, uh, you know, it makes sense to me, obviously, because even though I'm Asian American myself and, you know, half the people in my family are, are Asian, uh, I mean, all, all my siblings are half Asian like I am, but uh, it makes sense to me that I would have internalized messages from our society that uh, the stereotype that if you, if you have slanty eyes and yellow skin, you're a foreigner, you're not from around these parts. Um, but honestly, I, I was surprised on, on another level and, and kind of disappointed in myself because I grew up with Asians who are Americans. You know, my dad is 100% Japanese and he can't speak any Japanese. He, he's been to Japan once or twice, I think. He, I mean, he, he is American. He watches football. He plays golf. He, you know, has a garage full of junk, <laughs> you know, he, um, and dad, my dad sometimes listens. So, you know, um, I, I should probably stop there. He's a great guy, but man, you know, uh, and, and, you know, uh, he tells a funny story about early days in the sixties, maybe even sixties. Well, yeah. He was working at Boeing and he worked with Boeing for many years and he, there was this white woman that he was working with and they worked together for years and years. And one day, somehow it came up that he said, well, you know, I'm Japanese, I'm Japanese American. And this, I think this is the story. I'm not quite sure. But the white woman that he worked with for years and years looked at him and said, you're, you're Asian. And take it from me, my dad looks Asian. (laughs) He looks Japanese. But this white woman just looked at him. He's like, "You're Japanese, you know." And he's like, "Well, yeah. What are you talking? I look, I, yeah, I'm Japanese American. I'm Asian. Don't you? Doesn't don't I look Asian to you?" And she said, "No. I just always. I never, never crossed my mind. I just knew you as as Alan. You know, I just knew you as Alan Honda. I didn't think of you as as Asian." And um, uh, so I say that to mean that. He's so American that white Americans don't even notice the fact that he's Asian looking at any, <laughs> anyway. So anyway, this is all also to, all to say that I'm disappointed in myself that I have a slight association with Asian faces being foreign. It just, it's um, disappointing, but makes total sense given that I've internalized all the messages of the world into my stupid little mushy, wet brain that has resulted in a, in a slight association. Now, there's slight, moderate, and strong association. So I'm glad I don't have a strong association or a moderate association. I'm glad it's just slight association. Now, how did I match up against the rest of the people that have taken this test? Well, uh, 63% actually associate Asian faces with the idea of being foreign, of the people who took the test. Uh, people who had no association between Asians or whites being foreign was 19%. And the percentage of people who associated white faces with foreigners was 16%. So about two-thirds of of people who take this test associate Asian faces with being foreign, um, either strongly, moderately, or slightly. Each one is about 20%. So 
that's a bummer, right? <laughs> to think that two thirds and most of the people who take this test, I think, are American um, people from the United States, and all those people, Asian people included, like me, associating Asian faces with with the notion of being foreign. And now, some of you out there, I know, live in small towns where there aren't a lot of Asians. And you might be thinking, like, well, what's wrong with association, associations associating Asian faces with foreign? I mean, most of the time they are foreign. And what I'll say to that is, no, they're not. So, you know, let's think about this for a second. Um, white faces are all over the globe. They are all over Europe, all over Eastern Europe. Uh, in the Middle East, uh, let alone immigrants, South America, Australia, white faces are everywhere, not just the United States. Plus, there are white people in Canada, Mexico, Argentina. So the notion that white people should not be associated with foreign and Asians should be associated with foreign is 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 um, interesting. Let's just put it that way particularly for someone like me, particularly since I grew up in Seattle where there's tons of Asian Americans. Um, and to be clear, I just want to say that my dad is actually third generation, meaning that my grand, my Japanese grandparents were also born in Washington state. So, uh, and, and a lot, and I've said this before, it's just a rant I have. The vast majority of people who live in my neighborhood are not, either are not born in Seattle Definitely their parents weren't born in the state, and definitely their grandparents weren't born in the state. So, uh, you know, I, it doesn't get any more Washingtonian or Seattleite than the Asian side of my family. In fact, my white side of the family, uh, in, you know, came more recently from outside of Washington, from Kansas, actually. But anyway, so... All right. Now, again, what is this measure? Does this measure that when I'm in the real world, I actually associate Asian people with foreigners and white people with not being foreign? It's hard to know. You would really have to measure that out. It doesn't necessarily do that. But it is measuring something. And it's not a stretch to imagine that due to being programmed by media and society, that I would have a you know, slight bias that Asian faces equal foreigner. You know, it's it's not it's not a stretch. Okay, so the again the research has found that uh, be people in our society and societies around the world are biased in various different uh, situations at at schools, education, healthcare, law enforcement, police officers. They've, they've done a lot of research on that, like how quick a police officer is to escalate a situation, how quick they are to think a suspect is lying, how quick they are to shoot. All these kinds of things are, are measurable. Uh, voting, you know, this, this, they'll do experiments and say, you know, this is the profile of this, of this candidate, and then they'll switch out whether or not they're black or white or female or male or whatever, and People show preferences when you measure a group of people. That's another thing that I should say here is that whenever we talk about a societal preference, we're not talking about necessarily an individual preference. We're talking about when you take you know, several hundred or thousands, tens of thousands of people, there, there, is, a, there is a bias against certain groups and for other groups. 
certainly there can be people in that sample that they studied that have the opposite preference or have no preference, you know. So it, it's it's a global bell curve uh, finding. Uh, hiring is also things they've done experiments around. Okay, so what do you do? How can you, all of us, how can all of us account for this implicit bias? How can we not harm other people? How can we reprogram our mind? How can we get to the bottom of this so that we can move forward as a society and as individuals so we're no longer stuck in this historical legacy of ridiculousness? Well, I'm going to explain that after the break. So let's go to a break. Hello, we are back from the break. If you haven't already become a patron of the podcast, do so now. You might have to go to your computer, go to patreon.com, go to Psychology in Seattle, become a patron. I've been getting emails about people who are having trouble accessing the feed, the premium episodes. Uh, Email me and I'll give you the instructions because it's complicated. You'd think there'd be an easy way in today's technology late in the world, but there is not. I have researched all the different ways, and currently in 2018, we, I mean, there are ways, and, and most people manage, but uh, sometimes it gets a little weird. Also, we have our 10-year anniversary show coming up August 11, 2018, in Shoreline, Washington, which is just north of Seattle, and it is at the North City Bistro at 3 o'clock. And then afterwards, we're going to go to a bar nearby with some drinks and some karaoke and some chatting with people and all that kind of stuff. Um, our last live event was so much fun during or before and during and after. The whole day was just this great experience. And I reached out to a lot of the patrons who came and they were they were equally as enthusiastic about the event they loved meeting other patrons other listeners they loved uh meeting us we loved meeting them it was a fun very euphoric experience i just have to say and um i want to recreate that so uh, if you want details go to our facebook page and uh there's an event for it okay so how do we how do we correct for our, our implicit bias? How do we reduce our racism, sexism, classism, ageism, ableism, heterosexism? Um, what am I leaving out? You know all the various different things. Well, there are three general things you can do that I will explain, but then there are more specific things. The three things that you can do overall are one: raise your awareness. You need to figure out for yourself what you are doing, who you are, what you've internalized, how you think, how you act, all, all the different stories and narratives you have in your mind about different groups of people. That's, that's important. Or, and, and how society is racist and sexist and heterosexist and ableist and ageist and classist, that raising your awareness for me, that's been very helpful, is becoming very aware of what society actually is like. You know, I guess it's probably similar to if when you become a biologist or when you become a, 
a plumber or something, right? And you just start to see things, right? Like I, I remember when I started renovating my house, um, I was completely self-taught, uh, stupidly in a lot of ways. But over time, I just, especially during that time, whenever I walked into a house or any kind of a structure, I instantly started seeing problems or or good things about the building that I was in. I was like, oh, that's a nice trim. Oh, someone did a, oops, someone botched that job over there. Things I never would have seen before. Well, if you want to understand, the first step in reducing your bias towards marginalized groups or any group for that matter is raising awareness of yourself and of society. And this takes a long time, you know. It has been a journey for me, for sure. And it's kind of my job to do this. So, um, and I have, you know, a million miles left to go. So, um, so it, it just takes time and you just have to say, you know, you're just going to chip away at it for your, it's going to be a slight hobby of your life, you know, but honestly it is liberating to know it, it, it is not a bummer. I mean, I guess there are bummer elements to it and there are self, um, uh, disappointment elements to it, but, through it all, I think I, I feel so much more empowered. I feel so much more aware. I feel so much more in control. I feel so much more compassion for myself and other people. Like the more I, I understand about racism and the history of our societies, the more I have compassion for racist behavior. I think people who listen to this podcast know that I I have my rants for sure, but one of the things that I hope is recognized or something that I am not recognized, but I hope, I hope that I have uh, portrayed about myself because this is the way that I think is that everyone comes from a good place. <laughs> I was at an art gallery uh, last weekend and somehow, and th- this woman was giving me a tour of the different, insul- you know, different art pieces. And, and at some point, Oh, we got to this, actually, it's an interesting story. So we got to this wall, and it had, this is in Salina, Kansas. I was in Salina, Kansas to visit um, different um, historical ancestry sites. Uh, My dad's Japanese, my mom's uh, European-American, and all of our family comes from Salina, Kansas. It's a tiny little town in Kansas, and there was an art gallery there. (laughs) And so I was in there, and the... Uh, there was a big wall with a bunch of paper airplanes that were all different and on different paper. And the and if I didn't know what it was, I just would have breezed right right past it without thinking much about it. But the guide explained the whole thing and said that the artist has been writing to prisoners in prison. There's an organization called writeaprisoner.org or writeaprisoner.com or something. And so he he connected with hundreds of prisoners, and they would write him, and then he asked them to make paper airplanes out of their letters. And so then he took all these paper airplanes and made this interesting uh, art piece of it. And so I said something to the effect of, because um, we were talking about prisoners and about how some of these people did some pretty bad things to other people and blah, blah. And, and I, I said something to the effect of, well, yeah, you know, I, I just have the belief that all people come from a good place. And sometimes that gets messed up along the way and bad things happen. But 
I think I think everyone, the vast majority of people, are basically good. And the guide looked at me and she says, "I I do not believe that at all." She wasn't aggressive about it. We were just having a conversation. She she was just like, "I wish I could believe what you believe, but I I do not believe that." You know, I, I have a pretty negative attitude about people in general. And so that is that attitude of belief in other humans in part, I think, comes from my, you know, part-time hobby of trying to understand different groups of people and trying to understand and being, and being skeptical of my own views of other people. Because a, a lot of our views of, of evilness in other humans is based on stereotype. You know, it, if you saw somebody who looked very much like you or or the people that you love, you know, say you saw just just whatever you are, whatever group you are, whether you're white, black, Hispanic, Middle Eastern, uh, you know, Polish, Mexican, Canadian, whatever it is, just think about someone who is exactly like you. Maybe you've actually experienced this before. And they pop up on the news and they did something horrible. You know, they, I don't know, murdered their uh, friend or something. And I, I can almost guarantee you that if the person seems to be very much like you, they grew up in your neighborhood, they go to your school or they work at your workplace or something, it, the more commonalities you have with that person demographically, the more likelihood you are to have some sympathy for that person and say, well, you know, let's, let's look at the circumstances. It's, you know, the person probably, you know, let, let's, let's be careful. Not, let's not rush to judgment here. You know, maybe it was self-defense, but you know, what a, um, whereas if the further the person is away from your identity, the more likely it is. And this is just anecdotally. I don't have the research in front of me that you are to look at that person, me included, as being evil, as that person is evil. You know, take, for example, someone from Pakistan or Uzbekistan or, um, you know, Lebanon or Syria, and they come to the United States and they, you know, they have their their weird clothes and their weird beard and their weird attitudes and their weird talking and exact same crime. They killed someone at work or, you know, a spouse or something. And how likely is it that you or me or any of us are going to look at that person given the benefit of the doubt? Be like, well, you know, let's be careful. Let's not judge, you know, let's not rush to judgment. Now, if you are following the steps that I am about to talk about, then you might actually be able to do that because, um, you know, but but automatically or without contemplation and without work, how many of us would give that person the benefit of the doubt? Anyway, so raising awareness is a wonderful thing. Okay, number two is reduce the harm of your bias. So this is an active behavior and activity that you engage in to try to uh, reduce the harm. Number three is reduce your actual bias. If you just if you get rid of the bias, then you're not going to harm people, right? So, so raise awareness and then 
and this is basically in order to, and probably in order of difficulty in terms of easy to more difficult. Raising your awareness isn't that hard to do. That's learning. That's watching YouTube videos about sexism or classism or something. Um, that's not all you need to do, but you know, it's fairly easy to, to begin that process. You're basically just kind of absorbing things. Uh, and the second one is re- actually trying to reduce the way you harm other people with your bias, which I'll get into in a second. That's a little bit more difficult, but still kind of attainable in a quick um, uh, you know, amount of time. The third one, though, actually reducing your, your bias is is going to be rough, which I'll get into as well. And, and probably realistically can never be totally done because of all the messages we've internalized. But imagine if I went on it. So with the, in, with the implicit association test that I took that demonstrated that I have a slight association with Asian faces and being foreign. What if I, um, what if I could actually get rid of that implicit bias? Wouldn't that be interesting? Right? Okay. So, okay, so what do you do? Number one, again, uh, awareness. You think about things a little bit more. You notice what you think. You notice your automatic thoughts. You watch your behavior. Being aware is, is, a, is the first step. Number two is be humble, like the Lamar Kendrick song, Kendrick Lamar song. Um, you, you should... You, you got to know that your brain has been programmed. One of the things that I, whenever I get into arguments with people about racism or sexism or something, um, I find that people who I'm arguing with, they haven't yet accepted the fact that they might have a bias. I, I remember I was just yelling at this police officer. He was off duty. He was a friend of a friend and a, just a, a piece of work. Let's just put it that way. And I, this, this conversation started out civil, but after 45 minutes, it got ugly. And, and I, I was, you know, I was just laying into him. And in the beginning of the argument, it just became very clear to me that he did he he he's a white guy in a rural part of Washington State. <laughs> so let's just you know, uh, what's the chance that someone from rural Washington State has absolutely no bias of about race or gender or something? You know, what's the chance? It's ridiculous. It's it's ridiculous. So now again, one individual maybe, but in my world, for someone to say I'm not racist is just a silly thing to say. It'd be like it'd be like saying, I, I'm a unicorn and I can fly. Or I can jump higher than a two-story building. You know, it's like, no, you can't. In the same way, if someone said, I'm not racist, I'm not sexist, I'm not classist, I'd be everyone in my world was, would be like, that's silly. That doesn't make any sense. No one is not racist. No one is not classist. You know, it's just unless you grew up in some total experimental, you know, uh, chamber in which they completely cut you off from everyone in society, and you grew up like a like a bubble person or something. It, there's just no way. So, 
Anyway, so he was saying to me that this police officer was saying to me, I'm not racist. I don't know what you're talking about. I, it doesn't, I don't have any thoughts. I don't, it doesn't affect my behavior. Now, do I believe that he hopes that he's not racist? And do I believe that he hopes he doesn't do racist acts? Uh, yeah. Do, do, do I, is it possible that in his behavior, he has managed to treat people, quote unquote, equally? It's possible. But the notion that a white guy from rural Washington has no racist bias, you know, race bias or gender bias or anything bias is, you know, it's just dumb. And so that's the second step here is you have to be humble. You have to say to yourself, I am not the master of my domain, as they said on Seinfeld. I am not a god. I am not objective. I am not Spock. I I have this squishy, gelatinous mess between my ears that manages to function most of the time, but God knows what's up there. And I don't know what's up there. And maybe a lot of weird shit's up there. I don't know. That's, that's humility is I don't know, you know, probably some bad things in there. It doesn't make me a bad person though. I don't have to be a black and white thinker. I can think that I'm a mostly good person. I mean, that's how I feel about myself. I, I believe that I'm a mostly good person and I have some bad qualities, <laughs> some extremely unfortunate qualities about myself. But but I still like myself. I still have a self-identity. A self, I still have self-esteem. I still have self-worth. And there are some very unfortunate aspects of me. That is humility. That is wisdom in my book. That is questioning yourself, skepticism about your own ideas, realistic about what your brain can do. Okay, so that's number two. Number three is perhaps the most important thing to do in terms of how do we raise awareness, how do we reduce the harm of our bias, and how do we reduce our actual bias. Number three thing to do is to actually expose yourself to real humans of different groups. Over time, this this erodes stereotypes. For example, I didn't grow up. I grew up in rural Washington myself. I, I, I grew up just outside Seattle, but back in the day and even kind of now, you travel, you know, 30, 45 minutes outside of Seattle and you're basically in the country. And that's where I grew up. I grew up, I grew up 25 minutes out of Seattle and, and it was, it's particularly in the seventies, extremely rural. Now it's all fancy and stuff, but it was rural back then. And I didn't know a single black person. I didn't know any Asians other than my family. It was all white people for the most part. So, I mean, there were, you know, one or two people of color, but anyway, um, so I have, I have a bias, you know, and, and I grew up with all that. And so what I did in my adult life, and even in my teen years, I said to myself, I need to be around different groups of people because I just need that. I feel like that's an important thing to be doing. I need to hang out with other Asians. I actually, there was a time when, because growing up, there there were there were the very few Asians that were around. I would absolutely make friends with them. Um, there was one Asian guy, Vietnamese guy that I grew up with that, you know, of course we were, we were good friends because we were two of the only Asians around. Anyway, 
Um, but so other things that I did was I, I traveled to the South. I went to Memphis and Kansas City and New Orleans and, and places, Nolens or whatever, Louisville. The, these places compared to Seattle have way more black people. And I felt it. I, I remember entering Kansas City and real and just just the vibe of the black communities was so different than the black communities in Seattle. Seattle is a very liberal town. There are a lot of efforts to be uh, non-racist, but there is a problem with actual diversity. <laughs> it is traditionally and now uh, an extremely white um, area. And it actually makes recruiting people of color to our university a problem because it's like there's not there's not enough people of color in our city, so we have uh, troubles with that. But anyway, I remember entering. So so when when I would see groups of black people in Seattle in general, they were existing in this vast sea of whiteness, you know. And so when you go into Memphis, when you go into Kansas City, when you go into New Orleans, and you go into the black neighborhoods, the, the, I, I instantly felt like, man, the, the black communities here are diverse in and among, in a, in an, among themselves. You know, they, each black neighborhood has different aspects to it. And the, the, there are black billboards with black radio uh, hosts and black uh, TV shows and black news anchors. There's just there's just so much more African American life, and it's so much more normalized than it is in Seattle. And I definitely felt that. And so, traveling to those cities, I really, um, you know, part of the time I would spend just really trying to absorb the vibe of it all, you know, and. What did that mean about my the community of black people in Seattle, and what did that mean about me and my ideas, and and what sort of biases are living in these black communities in Memphis? How is that affecting the way I see black people? Because when you grow up in Seattle, when you grow up in any town that doesn't have a lot of people of color, you just end up sort of adopting stereotypes that the media has or society has, and I had done that. Uh, particularly probably with black people and and traveling and spending time in black communities slowly those stereotypes would go away so so you have to expose yourself act to actual human beings which i think is the best way now how do you do this exactly because i find that you know it's like well you know spend i remember when i was getting my graduate degree in the mid 90s that there was this suggestion about you have to go out into the community. I think most people are just like, well, what does that mean? What am I, what, where do I go? I, what, I just walk down a street that has people of color. Like I, I don't get it. Well, yeah, it's hard. Um, I don't know. Try to meet people, uh, maybe watch movies that have groups of people that you wouldn't watch normally. Uh, try, you know, like, um, <laughs> What's that new show, uh, Handmaid's Tale? Uh, I, as a man, I think if the, at least the way that that show is being marketed, it it's not appealing to me more than other shows that I've been dying to watch. And I know people out there wanting me to watch that show because they want me to talk about it. And I totally respect people's opinions. 
but I have limited time. I probably watch TV, I don't know, half hour a day or something. And, and, you know, sometimes I just want to watch. It's always sunny in Philadelphia or rest development or something. And, um, and eventually I'll get around to it, but that's an example of like, well, if I was a woman, I would probably be more attracted to that show the way that's being marketed. Right. And I'd be more excited about watching it. You know, Orange is the New Black is another thing. I mean, the demographics of that show, I'm just guessing, are mostly women watchers. You know what I mean? Uh, now, just just guessing. I'm, I watched it. I'm a I'm a dude. And I liked it. But but anyway, my point is is that for me, maybe that's an opportunity for me to understand and and get to know a group outside of me, which happens to be women. So to watch that show. So, you know, there's various different things you can do. YouTube, but you got to be careful because most movies and TV shows exhibit stereotype and and continue to program you in a bad way. So you have to be very careful. So maybe that's another thing you do, actually, I wasn't thinking about is like, if become good at detecting um, negative stereotype or or negative messaging in the the things that you consume, and either choose not to watch those things or consume those things, or as you're watching it, critique it in your mind. Um, you know, I've talked about this before in terms of how Asians are often foreigners in in stories, how, uh, you know, a writer will be like, okay, well, we need a foreigner. Well, let's make him Asian. You know, it, for some reason, it's like, whenever you need a foreigner, it's like you just throw in an Asian. It's never a black person, or rarely it's a black person. It, it's, it's not a um, white person. You know, there's plenty of white foreigners in the world, as, you know, outside the United States. Um, and it's just like always Asian dude, right? And and some shows I love will do this, like Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. They did this. They they have a Asian guy, and his name's Dong. <laughs> I mean, they play. It's funny, but I have a friend named Dong, actually a Korean guy, um, and we make fun of him too. And he likes, I think, to be made fun of. I mean, he may, everyone makes fun of my name too. So you know, what are you gonna do? But my name doesn't isn't a stand-in for the word penis. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we got to laugh sometimes. Um, I'm Asian. I can make fun of other Asians. No, I can't. That's completely stupid. Anyway, what was I talking about? Oh, yeah. Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, a show I like, I love, in fact, especially I think the first couple of seasons, they needed a foreigner and they got an Asian guy. And 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 here's the thing. He's not actually foreign. He's American. He He doesn't have an accent. He's you know, born and raised in the United States, I think. But at any way, his regular voice, there's no accent. Um, so he has to fake like he has an accent. So they had to, so it's like these, it's like Asian blackface or yellow face, you know, it's like, uh, of an actual, making an Asian do yellow face. It's weird, you know? And so now, is it a horrible thing? No, but when you add up just all the movies and all the, you know, it just gets so tired. Like one of the things I'm getting really tired of in commercials is when they need a smart person, they have an Asian or a half Asian. Half Asians are like in, in commercials are the perfect stand in for a smart person. If, if, if you're trying to portray a smart person that takes a good medication for this thing, it's all, it's, 
a way more overrepresentation of Asians and half Asians, uh, those characters. Just watch, you know, as an Asian and a half Asian myself, I see it. And now I haven't done a study. I could be biased. Like it could be, you know, uh, motivated reasoning and confirmation bias. Who knows? Uh, but, but my point is, is that uh, just try to understand these things. And, and, and so try to expose yourself to groups of real humans by either traveling or meeting new friends or reaching out to people at work or watching YouTube videos that don't have negative stereotypes, blah, blah. Okay. Number number four, sorry. So number one, awareness. Number two, be humble. Number three, expose yourself to real humans. And number four is challenge your stereotypes. You really got to attack them. For example, when you see an older person and you have some automatic thoughts about that person, you know, attack those thoughts. You see an older person, you just think, ah, they're out of touch. They're, I don't know, whatever sort of stereotype about older people. Like they don't know how to use their phone or they have a, or, or older people have a bias against younger people or older people aren't as competent. They don't have as much energy. They don't have sex anymore. You know, whatever stereotype you have, when you notice those, when you're aware of them, attack it, say, no, I'm not going to do that. I did this. Uh, I, I, I went through a phase, I think 20 years ago where I noticed that when I would walk down the street of Seattle and I saw a black person walking down the street, I would sort of focus on them. I'd, I, would, I would see them sort of as an anomaly or something. I'd be like, oh, a black person. What does that mean? And it was so quick. It was like probably a, a hundredth of a second of just a bing, you know, black person. Ugh. And now, of course, consciously, I don't have any thoughts one way or the other about anybody on the street. But I noticed I had this, this tiny little voice in my head of just like, well, keep an eye on that person. You know what I mean? The, we, don't know what, we don't know what that person's up to. Why? Because I've been programmed by billions of messages that black people are criminals and dangerous. It's awful. It's a terrible society that we live in, my God. And so I set out in that time 20 years ago for, I don't know, I probably did it for five or 10 years, that when I saw a black person in my head and I had that little ding, that little, that little alert that went off in my head, I attacked it and I said, no, it's stupid. Stop it. I, I, would, I would shame myself kind of just be like, stop thinking that. That's dumb. You're dumb, Kirk. Stop thinking that. That's the humility part of it. You know, it's okay. Now, I'm not shaming the whole Kirk. I'm just shaming that little part of it and just like, no, it's wrong. Another example is, <clears throat> you know, that we believe that all Trump supporters are racists, right? You know, we have people of various different political bents that listen to the show. According to the survey, most of you are liberal. So I'm, I'm just going to take a guess. And many of you believe that Trump supporters are racist. Well, newsflash, as I've been saying, all Americans are racist. All humans are racist. All everyone around the world is a racist person. So to say that Trump supporters are racist is is a little funny because aren't we all racist to say a Trump supporters racist is to say that you're not racist, but I'm here to tell you you're racist because I'm racist. Everyone's racist. There's no way not to have racist attitudes. Now your racist attitudes might be different from the next person's racist attitudes, but everyone has a heuristic with regards to categorization, right? 
when you see something that's green, you think it is nature. And when you see something that's blue, you think something else. And when you see something that's sort of that sort of puke green, you think of something that's yucky. And we just do that. Our, our brains are squishy messes that don't have a lot of time to sift through billions of data points and tries to move on with its day. And one of the things that we do is we categorize other human beings. And so that categorization is, uh, in essence, a bias, you know, because you're prejudging, right, based on the way someone looks. Sometimes it's correct. A lot of times it's not. And the notion that Trump supporters are racist is is um, something that I, uh, you know, you can do what you want with, with this one. I have chosen to attack this because I, you know, I had that. I was like, oh, Trump supporter, racist, blah, 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 you know, or Fox News, racist. And I just say, wait a second. You know, where did I get that from? How many messages have I gotten from The Daily Show and Colbert and, you know, John Oliver and all the other echo chamber places I go? How have I been programmed to have this hostile, knee-jerk attack that I feel is justified in my mind towards these groups of people, towards these human beings? It's, it's not fair. Now, these people are probably privileged— so it's not like they need my help in the world to help them, you know, succeed in the world because they're already winning anyway. But I, at the same time, do not want to have stereotypes in my mind about anybody, whether even if that person, even if I hate that person. So that's the other thing that I, I want to point out is you can hate somebody. You can dislike them. You can think they're evil. You can think they do bad things. You can hate Trump. You can hate him for his policies. You can hate him for what he said. You can hate Fox News for doing this or that. You can hate the Wall Street Journal. You can hate MSNBC. It doesn't matter. You know, you can have opinions about news. You can have opinions about politicians. You can have opinions about different figures on TV. That's all just good life, I guess, or normal, rational sort of, you know, brain stuff. But... At the same time, that doesn't justify stereotyping other human beings. Just because you you dislike Trump supporters, just because you think by voting for Trump, those people are setting us back in society, if, if you believe that, there's rationale for that. But that doesn't mean it's okay to blanket stereotype those people with a particular quality, particularly if it's negative, like racist or uncaring or not compassionate or crass. You know, uh, there's a lot of that going on, and I find that to be extremely problematic. That is exactly what we don't want in our society. That Obama actually talked a lot about this when he was still president and or no, maybe it was just after Trump became president. Actually, no, I think he was still president, and you know, but during the Trump times, and he was giving speeches, and people were atta- you know, de- liberals were attacking Republicans, and but you know, everything was just back and forth. And Obama was like, "No, no, 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 no! Everyone, stop it!" Like, there's this one famous um, clip that you can watch on YouTube where. This Trump supporter show it's a, a, Obama's talking to a gigantic crowd. It looks like 
a football stadium or a you know a basketball stadium of of people basketball arena of people you know thirty thousand people or something and uh, out of the blue, this Trump supporter shows up and starts shouting and starts to make a ruckus right and the crowd starts booing, and then people around this guy start physically attacking him, if my memory serves. And Obama's sitting in the middle of all this, and he's super calm, and he's like, well, hold on. Wait, wait, wait. Now, come on. Now, all these people in the crowd are adoring worshipers of Obama. And even though Obama in this moment is saying, hold on, people. This is exactly what we don't want. We do not want a society where we divide two groups, you know, we divide the country in half and say one half is good and the other half is bad. That is what we don't want. That is, it's not accurate. It's not fair. It's not a good system to have. It shuts off communication. It it causes, stare, you know, Obama's up there saying like, whoa, 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 you know, everybody stop. And they're not stopping. It's like, the whole crowd just became this Lord of the Flies situation, and and I you could and I could tell Obama is like, why aren't these people listening to me? <laughs> Please stop. Uh, it's okay that this Trump supporter is here. It's okay. It's oh, that's the po- American politics, freedom of of expression. It's fine. I, he's you know, and the attitude that I got from Obama is like, I'm okay. You don't have to protect me. He's way over there, and he's yelling something, and it's fine. I'm okay. I've dealt with this before. It's I'm not threatened by it. It's okay. And the crowd is just you know, and so that's what I'm talking about is that we just because you don't agree, you know, if you believe that you know Trump, for example, said something about shithole countries or something, whether or not he actually said that or not, it's it's irrelevant. He definitely gives off that attitude that. There are there are good groups of people and there are bad groups of people and and he's been this way his entire uh, uh, adult life as far as I can tell so it's, it's nothing new but and I do not I am not surprised that he would say such a thing I mean it's something that um, people say all the time I I would venture to say that even liberal Americans at least have an attitude about. Haiti being a quote unquote shithole country. I, I, it doesn't surprise me at all that Trump would either say that or have an attitude around that. It's, it's, it's such a common that that's what I, that's the first thing I thought when I heard about that. That's another thing like breaking down, be humble, trying to understand my brain process. So the first, when I heard about the shithole, you know, countries comment, if you don't know, in a meeting behind closed doors with a bunch of people, reportedly Trump said that. Uh, why do the shithole countries send their bad people to us or something like this? So he's labeling certain countries shithole countries. And, of course, that plays into the narrative of of at least one side of the country, and then that got caught wind. And other people have come forward who were in the meeting saying, like, he never said that. Um, but so we'll probably never know because no one recorded it. But the the bottom line is is that – it's not surprising to as soon as I saw that I had that knee jerk reaction like oh my god Trump what what an what an asshole and I said well wait a second how many people do I know who probably have that attitude or have confirmed they have that attitude one two do I have that attitude 
do I have an attitude that Haiti is a shithole country? Do I have an attitude that you know, certain African nations are shithole nations? Do Basically, do I have that attitude? And the answer is yes, I do. Of course I do, because I live in America, and I've absorbed those messages that there are good countries like Sweden and England and you know, Germany. These are good countries with, you know, de- they're developed countries, right? They have wonderful things and, and smart people and advanced. And then you have the shithole countries where people are, quote unquote, developing and they've got poverty and they're they're into crime and they beg for money you know of course i have those attitudes so of course trump has those attitudes trump is just the sort of guy who just says stupid shit <laughs> and doesn't think about it so uh, you know the whole thing is like well I, 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 yeah i he should apologize or say something to refute it and i think he did anyway i don't know the whole story but anyway, that's all part of that challenging stereotype. It's not just challenge your stereotype about black people. It's challenge all your stereotypes. Old people, millennials. There's so many stereotypes about millennials. In my world, there's just all this talk about how do you reach millennials, you know? And because a lot and a lot of our new students coming to the university are quote unquote millennials. I mean, in my world, millennial is almost a bad word, you know? It's it's almost like a derogatory term. Oh, millennials, you know? And I'm always just like, man, you know, uh, just because it, it's sort of – people are always attacking young people, one. Uh, two, there's something about the word millennial, you know, because Gen Y or Gen X, it just – that doesn't feel like millennial does. Millennial just sounds – wussy. (laughs) I don't know. But anyway, so we need to challenge all stereotypes, including your stereotypes about Trump supporters and, uh, you know, young people and even stereotypes about white people, stereotypes, but obviously stereotypes about people of color and disabled people and trans people and, you know, marginalized groups. So it's, it's all stereotypes. And once it begins, um, it's it's hard to to not be very skeptical. I mean, once I became skeptical of stereotyping and of my own thought processes, which probably began with blacks, you know, and with other people of color, and then eventually it probably extended into, well, what are my stereotypes about women? And then that grew into well, what are my stereotypes about older people, and what you know, the, and what are my stereotypes about working class people, and what are my you know very slowly. But then after a while, I'm like, wait a second, I have stereotypes about rich people, I have stereotypes about white people, I have stereotypes about um, people in in charge. When I see someone in charge, I immediately, particularly if they look a certain way, I immediately have a bunch of thoughts about that person, and. So now it's more important society-wise for us to attack the stereotypes of marginalized groups for sure because in in my estimation, those are much more harmful. But I think really we should all strive to eliminate or account for or be aware of stereotypes of all groups. All right. So that was number four. Number five is notice what the world is trying to say about a particular group. This has to do with awareness, but you know that 
just 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 take just always think about it you know think wait what in this presentation or this movie or the way this person is talking what are they trying to say about a particular group what's the message you know or what have i absorbed from society and one of the things that i've noticed recently is and it's changing but that when you have particular traditional marginalized groups in TV shows, in movies, in media, they are portrayed as sort of angels. It's sort of like in the 80s when you had Native Americans in movies, they were always these perfectly wise, wonderful people because because white America felt bad about what they had done to Native Americans and also saw them as the noble savage, you know, that whole thing. And and it's and and so they so they didn't paint Native Americans in this full way. Um, currently, the thing that I'm seeing is disabled people, people in wheelchairs or autistic people. They're they're often portrayed in TV shows and movies as as just being totally good. There's not they're they're not a full person. <laughs> they're just totally good. They they always do the right thing, and the world is treating them badly but they're just these angels they're all good and now is that a good thing for society it might be you know it might it might be a phase that we have to go through so i've seen a similar phase with asian people i've been very you know cognizant of this as an asian person because when i was young asian people were not only foreigners but they were like the enemy right you had asian people in war movies enemy right you had evil Asian, Korean, um, you know, uh, bodega store owners or whatever. There, it was just always like Asian people are either evil or ignored or invisible or nerdy or whatever. There's just, there's just a lot of really negative associations. Well, eventually society starts to uh, wake up about this and or Asians start to actually make their own productions. And we went through a phase where all Asians were good. The Asian guy could never be the criminal. He could never be bad. He was always he was always a good person. And he was never the villain. And he was never – there was never any full roundedness to the personality. He was always just like a good person, a smart person, you know, a put-together person. Well, over time, what ended up happening was we went through that phase, which might be a necessary phase – to get to a place where we are kind of now, or it's sort of the beginning of it, where Asians can now be fully rounded characters and can be a variety of different characters. You know, um, what's that guy that he used to be a doctor, he's a comedian, he's on community. His character is hilarious and ridiculous and terrible. <laughs> and, you know, he's kind of a villain, a funny villain in the show community. And, and he's Asian, you know. Uh, Harold and Kumar is a great example. When that movie came out, I was like, oh my God, two Asians. You have a Southern Asian and East, East Asian American, uh, you know, two guys. And some of their Asianness is a part of the movie, but really it, it could have been two white guys, right? Harold and Kumar. And they smoke pot and they like White Castle and they're douchebags, but they have a heart of gold, you know, like. It, they're fully rounded people that have good and bad qualities and good and bad impulses. 
And I mean, Kumar more than Harold, but, but really both of them are douchebags, you know, undoubtedly. Right. And when that movie came out, I was just like, this is groundbreaking. Not only is it one Asian guy, but two Asian guys, South Asian guy who are totally at the center of this movie. Uh, the only white guy is, um, what's his face from, uh, Doogie Howser, you know, that was, was that, was that when he did his comeback? I feel like that was the first time I'd seen him in his modern form, if that makes any sense. Anyway, so, so you just have to, you just have to, so you just really have to notice these things. I think you just have to be like, huh, isn't it interesting that like, what, what is, what's the general gestalt about disabled people in the media today? What's the general gestalt about Native Americans? What, what's the society trying to tell me? Um, another thing that drives me nuts is when people say Asians are collective, for example. I hear this a lot in my world. And, you know, people will learn about, they'll take a culture class and they'll, they'll walk away with this notion like, ooh, Asians are collective. And uh, <laughs> uh, collectivist is, is the term, right? They're collectivist culture. And I was just laugh at it because their, their notion of collectivism or something is, is, is that, um, you know, all Asians are collectivist and therefore think as a group as opposed to individualistically, which is the way Americans think. And I just laugh at it because I think, you know, one, what does Asian mean? We're talking about more than half of the world's population. We're talking about something like 4 billion people live in what we call Asian, of, of the Asian cultures, China, Japan, Philippines, uh, India, Pakistan. I mean, we're talking billions upon billions of people. And the notion that all of them are quote-unquote collectivist, uh, one, is so dumb. Because take it from me, I know Japanese people that are so individualistic, it is not even funny, narcissistic, individualistic, they don't care about anybody, you know, and and they're, you know, because there's millions of Japanese people and the notion that they're all collectivists is silly. Now, when you think about overall traditions and overall cultures, yeah, there's there's something to, there's something to say. But, it, you know, imagine if someone in Japan was like, everyone in the United States is individualistic. They don't think about anyone but themselves, you know, something like that. And you'd be like, well, wait, you know, I. I'm not that way. Well, so the the notion that Asians are collective are collectivists is just silly, and the or that all of them or that you know peop, half of the world's population can be reduced to that word or something is just silly. So that's just you know it's that's a message that I get in my world, and if I wasn't careful, I would just parrot that. I would just be like Asians are collectivistic, and that's it, and without being skeptical and just being like, well, wait a second, what's going on there? It, it, is, does that make any sense? What's, what's possibly wrong with that message that I'm getting? Okay. Number six is take it easy on others when they make a mistake and take it easy on yourself when you make a mistake. It's okay. We make mistakes. I make mistakes. Other people make mistakes. For example, I was in Canada. I think I've told this story before. I was in Canada and I was at an Airbnb situation and there were the owners of the house. I was chatting with them and 
they're they're looking at me and they're like, oh, um, so where where are you from, eh? Where are you from, eh? And I I don't know. That's what they said. That's me making fun of Canadians, people stereotyping about a. They do use the word a a lot. Uh, I have Canadian friends, and um, some of them use the word hey. That's I like that one. Uh, where you where you from, hey? I like that. It has a little bit more of a kind of a punch to it, you know. You want to go to uh, Tim Hortons, hey? No, that doesn't make any sense. Anyway, (laughs) Uh, in an episode about not stereotyping, I just still like stereotyping people, and that's that's awful. Awful! Just not good. Okay, stop it. All right, so I'm in Canada, eh? and I'm in an Airbnb, and I start chatting with the people, and I'm in rural. I'm actually, I think I'm near Banff, um, the park, and it's pretty rural, pretty remote up there, and... I end up talking to the owners of the house and, you know, we're chatting, blah, blah, and they're like, oh, where are you from? And I'm like, oh, Seattle. And and they're like, oh, no, no, what, you know, where are you from? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I get it. They see that I'm not white. Okay, I'll play along. Oh, well, uh, yeah, I'm Japanese-American. And, and, and they'll say, oh, okay, and they start talking. Oh, we have... I have, we have an Asian friend too, a Chinese lady. She lives down the street and, oh, she is such a nice woman. You know, I can tell now they're trying to tokenize and, and prove to me that, that they're not racist or that they're cool with Asians or something. And so I'm like, oh, okay, that's fine. <laughs> you know, whatever, you know, um, I, I could think of worse things that I could be dealing with right now. They're, they're trying and we're in rural Canada. So, you know, I'll forgive them on this this um, this annoyance, but anyway, so they're doing that, and then and then uh, one of them turns to me and, and, and oh, and she starts. They start talking about this woman. She's like, oh, you know, she had a sponsor and she got into the you know country, blah blah. And I hear the word sponsor, and I'm like, huh, I wonder. What, I have no idea. What are they talking about? Is that some some Canadian thing? Anyway, and then one of them turns to me and says, so who is who's your sponsor? And I did this real quick kind of because I was confused at the question. Who is my sponsor? Who's my sponsor? I mean, what does that what does that mean? It's like I had no idea what this person was saying. And okay, sponsor, sponsor, and then and then at some point it occurred to me, oh, they think I'm from Japan, and that the only reason why I'm allowed to be in America and Canada is because a white person has quote unquote sponsored me to be here. And I have never heard of this. I Maybe it's out there. I don't know. But in this person's world, which is either real or not real, in order for a foreigner to get into the country for a bit, they needed to have a sponsor. And so it just occurred to me like, oh my God, one, I'm half Japanese Two, what? I'm fourth generation Japanese. Uh, my ancestors came here probably before your ancestors came to Canada. And and three, like, have you never heard of an of an Asian American? Have you never has it never crossed your mind that an Asian person could be born in this land? Is it, is it that foreign? I mean, when you see a black person, are you like what? African nation are you from, you know? It's just, it'd be like looking at a white person and saying, like, where were you born in Europe? You know, it just, it's so, 
ah, you know? And so that went through my head. But what I did was, in my head, I, it, was, it was hurtful, and it bothered me, and I got angry. But outwardly, I didn't do anything, because I knew they weren't trying to be dicks. <laughs> they weren't on the street, you know, calling me a chink or something, or, a, you know, a Chinaman, they, or yellow face, or whatever, gook. They, they were trying to have a conversation, and they're ignorant as hell. And that's where it came from. And yeah, they're, they need to stop that. But in that interaction, I just didn't think it was worth doing anything about it, really. I just, honestly, so what happened actually is I, as I just kind of stared blankly, like, because I was confused. And then I figured it out, I was like, oh. And then this other person chimed in and she's like, no, no, no. Because the other person, there's three people, one, one of them was, aware enough, or at least aware of my facial expression enough to know that I wasn't actually foreign born. <laughs> and the other person was like, no, no, you know, there are some people are born, some, you know, they didn't know what to say, but anyway. Okay. So take it easy on each other because when we are hostile about these kinds of things, we end up basically shutting down opportunities for people to learn. And we, we isolate people. We silence people. When when people make mistakes, try to give them the benefit of the doubt, and gently, if 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 possible, explain to them how why it bothers you in a polite, empathetic way. Uh, we've all been there. All of us are racist, and all of us have made gaffes. All of us have done racist and sexist and classist and ableist and ageist things. We've all done them. And we've all made mistakes. We've said things. We've willingly crossed the line at times. And to be hostile towards another person when we've been there ourselves is is just, I don't know, it's, it's a little weird. I find that our society today is such that people are jumping down people's throats, you know, instead of just trying to listen and, and being polite. I I really don't think there's anything wrong with being polite. People will say, well, sometimes you got to get pissed off. Yeah, absolutely. There are times when you pick it, you get to the streets, but all the, you know, all caps tweets and the, the yelling at each other and the, the internal hostility towards other human beings. I just, I don't think it's helping. And I, I think it's actually, giving all of us things that we don't want. Um, it could be argued that Trump is president because of all that back and forth. He capitalized on it. I don't think he, I don't think he cares about a wall. I think he just knows that that gets people going. I mean, there was nothing more divisive than the wall idea, right? And there are Republicans who would rather have had a different president. You know, they'd rather have a, Rand Paul or, a, you know, Cruz or someone. And uh, certainly Democrats don't want Trump as president. And so I don't think Republicans or Democrats want all the hostility. I, I, I think we can all benefit, Republicans and Democrats alike, by trying to be polite. There's nothing wrong with explaining something to someone in a firm fashion, but being polite and being caring and, and trying to give other people the benefit of the doubt, you know, when, 
when you hear something like when I was in Banff and that person asked me who my sponsor was, was that person was that person being hostile to me? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe that's that maybe that person is diabolical in their Canadian ways and just being evil. I don't know. But I gave the person the benefit of the doubt. I said, Oh, the person is just woefully ignorant and and woefully sort of isolated in their tiny little world that they have no idea what's going on in the outside world. I I think they should probably try to change that because there's some sort of benefits to that, to to changing it. But, you know, I, I think they're trying. Anyway, so um, the other – number seven is before you get angry or upset at any group, try to understand where they're coming from. We did an episode about Evergreen State College a while back with Michael Drain, and, uh, um, you know, I didn't have a popular point of view. And my point of view was that the students at Evergreen, many of you don't even know about the story, but essentially um, I'll just tell you the path I had to Evergreen State College briefly because this episode's going on too long. But I, when the Evergreen State College thing happened, and if you know about it, you know about it. If you don't, you don't. But suffice to say that there were a bunch of young millennial uh, college students at this local college university in my neighborhood, uh, in my neck of the woods, and these students were protesting in a way that the vast majority of Americans disagreed with. They were being violent. They were being um, sort of indiscriminately hostile towards just anyone, it seemed. And when I first saw this, I was judgmental of those kids. I thought, like, what's wrong with them? And at the time, I was a program director, right? I, I was in charge of a university program. I'm not anymore. But I was in charge of a program, and this sort of stuff terrified me as a program director. I thought, because Antioch is sort of a sister college to Evergreen, and I, I envisioned myself, because these students were physically attacking professors, um, not much, but kind of, and at the very least being extremely hostile, not listening. And, and so when I saw this, it terrified me as a program director. It's just the worst nightmare of, of what if this happened to me and I was attacked unfairly. Uh, I could absolutely imagine something like that happening. And so at first, you know, my first knee-jerk reaction was, these, these kids are ridiculous and they need to be, they need to grow up and they need, they need to point their anger towards better targets than the people they're pointing their anger towards. And, you know, all the, all the thoughts that every other American apparently had. But then I checked myself and I said, wait a second. This is, this is a different group of people than me. They're younger. They're, they're students at a college. A lot of them are people of color. A lot of them are African-American looking. A lot of them, um, you know, who knows? But the idea is, is that they're, uh, they're, they're a different group than me. I, I can feel it. Okay, that's so that so that raises my spidey sense around am I playing into a stereotype right now? Am I, you know, what's the stereotype about young college kids? Well, they're they're stupid, they're entitled, they're spoiled, they're millennials, they're narcissistic. All they want to do is be on Facebook and Snapchat and Insta and, you know, all those thoughts and I thought, okay, so what's what's happening here? And and then then the the next thing I did was I said, I have no idea. I probably have no idea what's happening on that campus. I'm only seeing clips on the internet. 
So God knows what's really happening, okay? And the other thing I said was, I have no idea where these kids are coming from. I'm only seeing what the media is wanting me to see, which is, you know, playing into a narrative that that liberal, you know, Seattle University runs amok or something. And I said, okay, so I will reserve judgment. And then I thought, okay, what? And then the next thing I did was I tried to understand maybe where they're coming from. And so I said, okay, what? Where are they coming from? Why would they be that angry? You know what? And of course, I have no idea because I'm I'm watching stuff on the internet. But I tried to imagine what they were upset about, and and after a while, I actually came to some conclusions around like, well, they've probably been dealing with a lot of oppression um, imposed on them for a long time. They've probably observed a lot of really horrible things in their lifetime uh, on different you know, marginalized groups their entire life. Trans people are treated like crap in our society. Uh, Gays and lesbians are, in general, particularly before, treated terribly, killed sometimes. Trans people are... There are people who kill trans people just because they're trans. I mean, what? So uh, that will get you angry, (laughs) and you will get upset, and when that is threatened, you might go on the attack because you've just been dealing with so many things. And so I said, oh, I wonder if that's where it's coming from. I wonder if it's just like the last straw, and I wonder if it's like they feel like no more. You you know, we're not going to allow this sort of thing to happen so close to home. You know, it can happen in Washington, D.C., but it can't happen on this campus. And so we are going to fight it. And all of our rage through, throughout our life is going to come out. And I can empathize with that. You know, when when someone asks me, like I was in Salina, for example, and I talk about this sometimes, when I'm in Seattle and people ask me for my name, I'll go Kirk Honda, and they'll be like, oh, okay. And when I was a kid, there would be a joke. But later in life, there's so many Asians that there's no jokes anymore in Seattle, or very few. I go to Salina, Kansas, small town Kansas. I say my name. Instantly, it's a joke. Oh, Honda. So do you own the business? And it it's just – it if, even if it was a name like Ford or Bentley or something, it would uh, bother me. Also, because it's like, okay, I'm 47. What's the chance you're the first person to say that joke? What? Just, just take a guess, like how many times someone has said that. Okay, but it also is sort of a foreignizing of me, of like, oh, weird name, you know? That's a weird name. It's not like Smith or Johnson or McKenzie, you know? These these better names, these more normal. Names. You have a weird name. You must be from another country, you know? It. It's just a tiny little issue, and but again, uh, after the thousandth time it happens, you know it's just death by a thousand cuts, and you just you get. I have a real bad attitude about it now. Now I, I try to restrain myself, but, but anyway, so maybe that's why the Evergreen State people did what they did. I don't know. I, that's the point. So when I see that, I just say like, I don't know. What's the what's the media trying to pump into me? What are my stereotypes doing to my perspective of this? How can I have empathy for this group of people? What's a rational reason for why they're doing this? Uh, it doesn't make it right, you understand? It doesn't, it doesn't say – I, I wouldn't – after looking at the Evergreen situation, I wasn't like, oh, yay, those kids were right. I, 
I wouldn't say that, but I would, but I endeavored to try to understand where it came from, you know? Anyway. Okay. Uh, number eight, expose your children to people of different groups, particularly uh, when they're teenagers. I find that teenagers are probably the most important age group to start really exposing your children to different groups. Because there's something about when you, when your kid's five or something. I mean, it's great to expose them when they're young, for sure. But I've, I've, I know a lot of anecdotal accounts, anyway, of kids who grew up with diverse uh, classmates and friends and stuff. And then when they're a teenager, they they split off into a clique, and often it's by race or gender. And that's when a lot of attitudes really start to form. And so I think it's really important to have teenagers get out of their uh, protective shell sometimes. And number nine is adjust for bias in your behavior. You know, um, like, for and I'll just, I could talk about this for a long time, but as an example of this, when, and I've talked about this before in the podcast, once I realized that sexism basically dictates that in meetings at my workplace, women will be given less time to talk, their ideas will be less uh, considered, people will not call on females as often as men. And in meetings at my university, I would observe that. So I'd be like, yeah, actually, I think men are privileged over women in these meetings. And so I, as a person in the meetings and also as a male, I would try to account for that bias by when women talked, I would, I'd have to give a little extra attention to, to my, to my awareness and my thought processes of make sure you pay attention to this person because you, if you, if you aren't, that might mean that you're being sexist. You're playing into a, a sexist attitude about women. Um, and so when when women would talk, I would I would give a little extra effort, not a lot, you know, because it's not like I it's not like I was massively sexist against women. So just a little bit of effort, just like okay, make sure you're not discounting, make, make sure you're listening, make sure you give that person time, make sure you uh, ask for women's opinions um, a little bit more than you might normally, you know. That's what I did. But again, um, so those are the nine things. Again, getting back to the most important thing, the best thing is to spend time with people of other groups. You know, that, that's what really works for me. Um, for example, uh, I, when I move across town in Seattle, I've lived in various different places in Seattle. And one time I, um, in the 90s, early aughts, I decided to move to a neighborhood that was known for its diversity, Beacon Hill. A lot of Asians, a lot of black people, a lot of immigrants, uh, a lot of Asians, like I said. Um, and so I moved there specifically because I was like, you know what, I've I've lived – because the university is in the north part of town, which is the white part of town. And I've just, I don't know, just sort of randomly and maybe out of racism and classism lived in the north part of town. And so I, I said, no, then this next house I live in is going to be – in the south part of town, which is where most more people of color are, and you know it was an interesting experience. Uh, it was it was definitely different, and than my earlier experiences were. Now it wasn't without its problems because again, Asians, 
African Americans, Russians, immigrants, you know, it's not like they're wonderful human beings all the time. <laughs> they're normal human beings. You know, neighbors are going to be neighbors, right? And so, um, like any neighborhood I've lived in, there were pros and cons. And so, um, but what it did for me, for me personally, what it did was I just became more comfortable around people of color. It just felt more normal to me to be in a neighborhood of mostly non-white people, you know? Um, okay. So just to review awareness, be humble, uh, be around actual humans with of different groups. Challenge your stereotypes. Notice what the world is trying to say about a particular group. Take it easy on others. Take it easy on yourself when people make mistakes. Um, before you get angry at a group, try to understand where they're coming from. Compassion, empathy. Uh, try to expose your children to different uh, groups, uh, mainly teenagers, and adjust for bias in your behavior. But mostly, really, just be around other groups of people. But in, in conclusion, I want to get to something you asked. You, you asked, shouldn't we use our experience to predict people's behavior? You know, if black people or if males are more likely to be violent and commit crimes, shouldn't we use that information to protect ourselves? This is a very complicated question. <laughs> um, and the, the way I'll answer it is sort of a a modified yes. If an elderly woman in downtown Seattle walks up to me and asks me to um, ask me for directions or even ask me for a dollar or something, I'm much more likely to help her than if a homeless, slightly disheveled man walks up to me, or seemingly homeless, I should say, walks up to me and asks me for help or asks me for a dollar. I'm much more likely to help the elderly lady. That's prejudice. That's profiling. That's ageist in a reverse way or something. You know, it's 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 wrong in a way. But at the same time, I've been accosted physically, but mostly verbally, by enough disheveled men downtown Seattle to know that it, one of the best things both of us can do is if I just don't interact with them because. Um, they're sometimes trying to scam me for something. It doesn't happen a lot, but it happens sometimes. Particularly, I used to live downtown. It happened to me frequently. Whereas how many elderly white women uh, did that to me downtown Seattle? None. You know what I mean? So is there is it okay, so to speak, for me to do that? You know, I don't know. But I think that those situations are pretty rare when sort of racial profiling or age profiling or ethnicity, you know, the, these kinds of situations are pretty rare. Uh, the vast majority of our interactions with other humans exist outside of those kind of specific situations. You're at, the vast majority of our interactions, most of us, are at work or at the Starbucks or when we're dating others or when we're making friends or we're at a meeting or we're teaching a class or we're a student in a class or we're in a group project or we're online to communicate with other people. Like the, the vast majority of our, of our interactions aren't as discreet or aren't as specific to um, examples like uh, 
um, uh, you know, when someone approaches me on the street when I'm downtown Seattle or when, um, you know, like another example might be if you are on the road and you're really upset at someone else on the road, are you more likely to flip off someone who looks nice as opposed to flipping off someone who looks like they might have a gun? You know, their their profile, they're in a big truck, they have a cowboy hat on, uh, you know, are you prejudging that person as a gun owner? You know, is that okay? You know, I... I, I I don't know. I think probably it's okay, but but we always have to just be careful about how we're using these shortcuts. And the vast majority of our interactions with people, the shortcuts are actually harming us. So that's what I'll say about that. If you have any opinions, let me know. You can email me at contact at psychologyinseattle.com. Again, become a patron of the podcast. Go to patreon.com. Come to our live show, August 11, 2018. I really, you know, last time we had a live show, uh, we didn't have enough room, and people had to uh, be turned away. I, I had some trouble actually finding a good venue for this for this second live show, and I, I think it's about the same capacity. <laughs> so I, I'm, I, I'm worried that, that we'll run out of room. But on the other hand, the only there's only a handful of people who have confirmed they're coming on the Facebook page. <laughs> so, so you know, it'll run the gamut, I suppose. We'll either have five people there, including my parents, or we will be too full. I guess we'll just have to wait and see. <laughs> but I do have a plan that if too many people come, uh, we will figure out some way to include everybody. I the reason why people were turned away at the last show was because someone was working the door that was not really connected with me. It was someone connected with the university. And she was, she, I don't, if she should have come to me and said, so there are no more seats and there's people wanting to come in. What should we do? What I would have said was, we'll have them sit on the floor <laughs> or, or I'll get a seat for them or, you know, we can we'll figure something out you know what i mean i don't want people to go home that's just awful you know actually some of my friends had some friends i invited um couldn't get in and had to go home so so i'm gonna have a different situation this time i'm gonna there's gonna be someone i trust that's gonna run the door and if we get over capacity then or you know not enough seats or something like there will be an option so um you might have to stand on stage with me. I don't know. No, just joking. There would be there would be something palatable. <laughs> anyway, so that does it for that long episode in which I talk about implicit racism and whatnot. Please take care of yourself because you deserve it. You really, really, really do. <laughs>